Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I am good, Conrad, because I'm not in Oklahoma where the weather is still uh, lousy. And man, what a cold front, huh? Uh, but there's no global warning. Warming. There's a global warning. That's what there is. <laughs> so everything's good. Uh, how are you doing? Man, I'm better than I deserve. And I guess we need to give a little global warning right now. You're going to be live tonight on adfreeshows.com, taking fans questions, doing a little interactive. Right. And, uh, I know all the top guys and gals over at adfreeshows.com are looking forward to that, but tomorrow you're going to be doing the virtual signing. I think this one is, uh, the one I've seen all over advertised, right? Yeah. It's, uh, with, uh, uh, high spots and, uh, I'm doing, doing, I'm trying to get to my, there it is. Son of a bitch. See ya. Boy, just say done. Just go someplace else. Click. Uh, there it is. It's uh Friday night, February 26th, seven o'clock Eastern. It's going to be streaming live at uh, facebook.com slash high spots. So, uh, you get all your information there, but it's this Friday night, February 26th, virtual signing. I'm going to have some books on hand and just, a, you know, should be a fun, lighthearted deal. Uh, but it'll be live. So any, nothing can go wrong as Vince would say, <laughs> Friday, Feb 26, seven o'clock East. Hope you guys join me, uh, you know, and I'll be signing stuff and personalizing autographs and things of that nature. So uh, I look forward to it. I have, I don't, I'm trying to think if I've ever done one of those before. I don't, I can't recall. Maybe this is my, my lack of memory. I don't think I ever had. Well, you don't and the stuff. other thing for tonight for you, for ad free shows, I've done a couple of those. Those are, those are a blast. It's a lot of fun and they get, get good questions. I said this, I think maybe last week that I thought that our audience was as educated and as, as, uh, uh, in tune as any audience that I've ever, uh, interacted with. We just had some really smart fans that study the game. And that's what we talked about last week. I think we talked about the Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart, the Jimmy Crockett interview, right? Students of the game and historians are going to love this. Cause I'm not hard to, I'm hard to please sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I really am. I'm cranky and crotchety and all that other good shit. But the thing about it was that's really a classic, uh, piece of journalism. And it's, uh, you ask great questions and Jimmy gave great answers and he understood the game. He was succinct. It allowed you to get a lot more questions in while the answers being better, shorter, succinct. Hence. So, uh, a lot of good things going on, man. I hope the fans could. As you, if you're someplace where the weather is bad or not friendly, we got you covered. You got to go check it out. Adfreeshows.com. Of course, tonight, Jr. will be doing his meet and greet, but of course he's been talking all about the new Jim Crockett interview part one, part two, still to come here in a few weeks, but don't forget tomorrow. Jr. doesn't do a lot of these, a virtual mm-hmm. signing over at high spots. Uh, they've been doing a great job bringing in a bunch of huge names. They had Stan Hansen. They had Terry Funk. Now the main event is here. Mr. Uh, Jim damage. Ross, the voice of wrestling, facebook.com forward slash high spots is where you can join in on all the fun It's tomorrow night at seven Eastern six central, uh, lots of, uh, photos. And I'm sure there'll probably be some action figures. You know, there'll be books, but we there can... won't be any AEW action figures because mine hasn't come out yet. That's a subtle. <laughs> Maybe you and, and Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone are all coming at the same time. Well, and then while some people have, they've already had two or three. 
Well, I think Cody, he, there's been four series so far and Cody's had five figures. So yeah, well, I guess I should have taken that EVP title. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ross says he's angry at action figures. Should have taken the A, the EVP title. First of all, it's never offered, nor would I have accepted. So anyhow, but the, but that's going to be fun. It's a fun weekend. See, for me, I look really look forward to times like tonight with all our ad free people tomorrow night's a brand new venture. I don't have any idea how it's going to go. Uh, and, but I'm excited about uh, participating and talking to fans and you know, I'm, I'm really a big believer in market research and the best market research is to interact and discuss and talk with the people that consume your product. Yeah. So it's pretty simple. You don't need to, you don't need a focus group. I just need to listen to what you're saying. So anyhow, so it should be fun weekend. And you know, then I may have a couple of recruits dropping by. It takes a 40 time, things like that. Life living life, Conrad. Boy, I, I love that you're getting comfortable. That's the first time you've dropped that line on the air. You and I have been tickled for a long. All right, let's move on. No way out 2001 is our topic today. <laughs> it took place on uh, February 25th from the Thomas and Mack center in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is actually only the second pay-per-view that the company has put on from Las Vegas. The first of course, being your debut show, WrestleMania nine. Uh, so I guess we can say at this point, you've covered every WWF show in Vegas, every one of them, every <laughs> two of them. <laughs> yeah. And the, the WrestleMania nine kind of was the big daddy for me, of course. of course. Uh, but Las Vegas is, is the, I've talked about this before that when, when, uh, you, you're in a company that does a pay-per-view in the, in the, uh, uh, Pacific time zone, it changes the dynamic because number one, your day starts much earlier because you're still going to go on the air at seven o'clock Eastern time, which is four o'clock on the Pacific coast timeline. So everything gets shifted and that also includes the post show. So everybody likes to have a drink and meet the bar and blah, blah, blah. And normally on the road, you're meeting at the hotel bar, right? But here there's so many hotels and so many bars and so much time because you're off the air at, uh, about what? Seven o'clock on the, on the Pacific time zone. And so look out Loretta. It's rough. <sighs> Yeah. And it makes sense because WCW ran Halloween havoc out there for several years. Why don't you think the company ran Vegas more often? I know a few years ago they ran a pay-per-view and boy, it was a terrible draw. I mean, they were trying to do family four packs and buy one, get one free and whatever they could right there at the end. Why is Vegas? Is it just, is there too much competition for the entertainment dollar? What do you think? I think that has a big factor in it. It's hard to gain the attention uh, the ticket buyer in with that live within that market, because there's so much going on. At least there was, you know, back in the day. Right. And I'm sure it'll hopefully I'm not sure of anything, but I'm hopeful it'll return that way for everybody. So some of my friends that are bartenders, you know, you can, you, you can't hardly get a better loyal friend Conrad than a good bartender. It's true. You really can't. And boy, when you, I, I like that norm treatment. Cheers. You know, I got a couple of three places I go to HAR. I like that. I guess it's my massive ego getting massaged, but it's fun to be treated. That's like personal care. Yeah. I'm sure that's what you do with your mortgage company. You take care of people because without the people, the deals don't mean nothing. That's right. 
So, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it was a, it's always fun to do shows out there because there are so many things to do and you get part of your day back, even though you've got to start early. So what, uh, but at four o'clock soon comes and off you're, you're off and running. So to remind everybody here in February of 01, ECW circling the drain. And of course the, uh, the WCW promotion is about to hit the iceberg about a month after this. We're coming off of Royal rumble. We just saw Steve Austin win the Royal rumble match that guarantees him a world title match at the upcoming WrestleMania 17. And of course there he'll be challenging whoever the world champ is. And tonight we're going to find out, will it be Kurt angle or will it be the rock? This show drew 15,223 fans, uh, 13,119 paid a total gate of 683,955 bucks, another nearly 130 grand in merchandise and 590,000 buys on pay-per-view. Boy, this is the heyday of WBF business. Is it not? Yeah. And comparing it to what we talked about recently here on the show or some of those, uh, WCW, that Phoenix pay-per-view wrestle war. Yeah. With what? 3,800 people or something. Abysmal. Yeah. And it didn't make enough money to pay the ring crew. Uh, this was, a, a this is more delightful. Quite frankly, it's fun to work for a full house. Yeah, try not to linger on that topic because there's nothing we can do about it right now with the COVID issues as they are, uh, even though we're doing pretty good on our live nights there at, uh, Daly's place in Jacksonville here in Jacksonville. So yeah, it was a good house, but look, Austin was back. That's exactly right. He came back in October after being out for almost a year. He had that major neck surgery. He's obviously set up for another big run. And you're just about a month away from what most people consider to be one of the best WrestleManias of all time, WrestleMania 17. Where is that on your list, Jim? As far as my favorite WrestleManias? Yeah. Oh, it's top. I can't think of one I like better. There you go. So it may be number one, but I can't think of any that I liked better. The WrestleMania nine event was not as good an event, but it was more memorable because it was my first one. Right. For WWE in 93. Uh, so that's always going to be memorable, but as far as t- start to finish, uh, WrestleMania 17 is going to be really hard to beat. And I, and that's a good topic for, uh, online discussion and questions and answers and things of that nature, because there's an argument that can be made for other WrestleManias that were really good shows. But for me, 17 was special because of the locale, uh, rock and Austin, you know, the McMahon, uh, Ralston, heel turn, all that stuff. Uh, the TLC match, a lot of things on there. You know, when you got a match on the card that has undertaker versus triple H and it's not a quote unquote featured match, you know, this card has got a lot of good quality depth, right? That's just kind of what you're always looking for. So it, I think 17 is going to always rank there with me is it's going to be in the top three and it may be number one. Well, and it's going to be number one on your player when it comes out on March 25th, mark your calendar, boys and girls, we are going to cover that WrestleMania and we'll also hit WrestleMania 20 this year. So lots of fun WrestleManias coming your way. Uh, let's talk about some other news and notes as we head into the show. We just mentioned DCW is, is going out of business. Well, the WWF has signed one of their impact players, just incredible. Um, Meltzer would write. The world wrestling federation has seemingly opened the doors and changed the equation as it pertains to the future of ECW, uh, Palaco 27, one of many ECW wrestlers who had gotten in extreme financial straits 
because of being behind in pay as well as high medical bills. When his wife gave birth under the impression that an ECW deal included health insurance <laughs> was some major pressure to make sure there was some sort of move for his future and what he was, cons- uh, seriously contemplating getting out of pro wrestling. The news of his signing, as well as word getting out, the WWF was having negotiations with Tajiri and Rhino, neither of whom have signed at press time, changed the equation from recent weeks where the WWF said they wouldn't take ECW talent until Paul Heyman's situation cleared up, not wanting to ruin a potential sale or television deal for him. Heyman has been offered a job to write TV with the WWF, but he has not yet accepted that position, et cetera, et cetera. So Lots of, uh, rumor and innuendo about ECW going down. And now all these talents maybe having discussions with you guys. How do you remember those three coming to be? Did just incredible call you? Did, did you call him? Uh, did Heyman intervene? What do you remember about that? It seems like I hired, uh, just incredible at the urging of some of his buddies. Yeah. And, and as you said, he was the key thing. Uh, PJ was not a bad worker. And only whatsoever. 27 years old, which is He's 27. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so, but I don't remember who turned me on to, to, to Jerry. Uh, the first time I saw tape on to Jerry, I loved him. Right. Cause he had great intensity. And, you know, we talked about that, uh, Japanese ladies match on the uh, wrestle war. That's right. And how the, the women's tag match picked up when the kick started falling. Yeah. Stiff got everybody's attention. Ooh, all. Oh. And I think that's a Tajiri reaction. He worked very snug, but safe. And of course, then Rhino was just a big rugged. To me, he was a prototype rugged heel. And, uh, both those guys had good uh, locker room decorum and had no blemishes on their background checks. They weren't dressing room lawyers. Uh, they were not, uh, you know, uh, just miserable people to be around there to Jerry's one of the funniest guys. I think I was ever around and Rhino was as reliable as the sun coming up and the sun setting. He just was, and he was, he, he was believable. So, uh, that's, we never planned on either of those three being headlining a WrestleMania, but we thought that they could help add some depth to our, our, our card and some new matches. They had the abilities to work with anybody. If we wanted to go over, they could know how to do that. If they need to enhance somebody and, uh, do the honors, uh, they were very proficient in doing that as well. But the one thing about the, our situation and all those ECW guys, every ECW guy I hired complained about the pay, uh, uh, situation late, yeah, unknown, whatever. And, you know, uh, so everybody complained about that. That's the great thing about coming to WWE at that point in time. And now today too, for, for sure, uh, the money's there. So, uh, anyway, that's, uh, how that worked out, but they, they're all three really good talents. I use a baseball analogy. Sometimes they may not hit cleanup for you, but they're really good having the lineup yeah. in the, in the, at the bottom of the batting order because they could deliver. And sometimes the bottom of the batting order needed to step up and deliver. Let's talk a little bit about ECW for a moment. You know, it's clear to the company that, Hey, they're, they're circling the drain here. Uh, everybody's trying to abandon ship and. We've even reached out and made an offer, uh, for their head honcho, Paul Heyman to come over, but it's also in the newsletter at this time, you know, for several weeks that Paul's trying to land a big TV deal, but as we get closer and closer to no way out, 
the reports start to read more like now he's looking for a buyer supposedly between four and 7 million is what he needs to clear up in debt. Some of his own money, some of his parents' money, some of some outside sources, but still he's looking for a lifeline and it doesn't come from the WWF. Was there ever any discussion about, Hey, let's just buy these guys outright. Uh, there was discussion, but was it serious discussion? I would say no to that one. Uh, because we knew the dire straits that, uh, unfortunately Paul was in financially. And we figured that the, uh, logical conclusion in his story, in his case was bankruptcy. Right. And at that point in time, if that occurred, and I think it did, uh, we were prepared to buy the assets, which included the library, uh, out of, uh, out of bankruptcy court or in bankruptcy court. So no, not really. You know, we've been helping Paul, right? I think we paid Paul 50 grand a month, uh, because it came out of my, my talent relations budget. Now, wait, uh, I've heard it was a thousand dollars a week. That would be 50 grand a year. You're saying you think it was 50 grand a month. Hmm. Boy, that you got me. I can't remember. <laughs> well, I don't remember. It's not long ago. That sure. It sounds like a lot of money, but in the big picture, the big That's scheme not. of things, no. it really wasn't. Yeah. I think it was, uh, well, that 50 grand a month number sticks out, but I may be wrong on that too. In any event, here's the bottom line of the story without doing all the math and getting all fucked up about the, what sure. was it this? Was it that? Not you, but just in general. Yeah. You know, shit, man. I, we were helping them. Right. He, he, they were getting a regu- He was getting a regular check to try to keep his doors open longer so that if he did indeed have a legitimate buyer, that he had more time to negotiate a, a deal. Uh, Vince was very, very kind to Paul in that regard. Uh, it, cause it'd been very easy to. Squash him. Yeah. Put him out of business. You yeah. know, uh, all of his top talent won't delete. Cause you go back and look in time. I hired most of them. That's right. You know, Dudley's, uh, Taz, uh, and others, the ones that we got everybody we wanted quite honestly. And they were calling me, not, I wasn't soliciting them. They were calling me because at Vince's, uh, uh insistence, we're not going to go out of our way to do anything harmful to ECW. We wanted to buy the library at some point, right? Cause we had the goal to do this network. You know, we'd already purchased a AWA library and others. So we wanted the library more than anything. And then Vince is going to leave it up to me on talent to bring in because quite honestly, and I say this in all due respect, because some ECW alum will get pissed off, uh, and is the fact that we're, we were not going to do anything to steal talent, but when talent came to us said, we're going to leave here, but we're looking and this WCW was in business at that time. Uh, you know, I had to either, you know, take a dump or get off the pot. Right. And so, but this is not, that was not Vince's forte. Uh, he didn't watch ECW television. Right. I'm not so sure he was overly familiar with who the Dudleys were. I don't think he was overly familiar with who Taz was among others. He just didn't watch that show. Right. And so, uh, at that time, I think they were on the MSG network, I believe, I'm not sure. Saturday night's about midnight or something. And I, and I was, you know, I watched it pretty regularly. I'd say I was very familiar with the talent. So when they called, I knew who they were. So it was, uh, it was just, we didn't want to screw up where Vince is a lot kinder to Paul than other promoters could have been. He was very good in that regard. So 
but we knew that it was, that it was just, it was, uh, giving them that money or paying Paul was, uh, like moving the, the, uh, moving around the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. You kind of knew it was going down. So you just tried to stop the bleeding as best you can and get in line for some of those talents. Cause they did have some really good talent that, and again, as I said, we, I think we did a nice job of hiring the best they had. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Let me ask, you said a few times that Vince was nicer to Paul than maybe he had to be, uh, in, in his dealings. Uh, cause uh, don't get me wrong. At some point, a lot of promoters have to make some pretty cutthroat decisions. This seems to be like he's handling Paul with a lot of kindness. Um, wh- why do you think that is? Is it because they felt he felt like Paul was going to be a future player for him. He respected what he had done. He had a relationship that went back years and years. What was, what was it about Paul that? Well, I don't think it's the fact that he went back. Uh, their relationship was ever very strong. Uh, I think it was the fact that Vince recognized talent. Right. And, and, uh, for any of us to try to argue the point that Paul Heyman didn't have significant talent from a cerebral standpoint would be ridiculous. Uh, and he did a lot with a little engine that could Paul did a phenomenal job. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say brainwashing cause that's extremely negative, but something motivating, whatever you want to say, but he, the, even to this very day, you know, I, I listen to busted open on a regular basis. Cause I'm, I like, uh, the guys that, that are on it, Dave LaGreca and, sure. uh, and Bubba, but Bubba talks about ECW in glowing terms. Even though he, his pay was late, seemingly more often than not, and he had to wear multiple hats to earn more money to pay the tab, pay your rent, and so forth. So there was a, still a strong feeling of loyalty to the brand by some of their alums. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm very loyal to Mid-South Wrestling because that's where I got my start. Right. Uh, real simple. So um, Paul did a good job of us against the world mentality, of us against the world mentality. And that's worked in football. It's worked in game ball games. You know, nobody thinks we can win guys. It's just us in this room, right? No, nobody else. And so it's up to us to go out and prove everybody wrong type deal. And the, the, uh, brand was very, uh, defiant in his presentation. Yes. And, and some of those guys are still very defiant in defending ECW. They had a very unique brand. Uh, they had a, a very unique camaraderie. Uh, within the locker room, which is pretty cool. So Vince just didn't, you know, we knew we were going to get those guys or we, we put it better put, we wanted to get a lot of their guys. We need to freshen up our roster. They had some good talents that were looking for their break. They had proven that they could work through uh, challenging circumstances, i.e. not getting paid on a regular basis at times. So, uh, we, we kind of knew what we wanted to ha- get out of ECW, the library, number one and select talents. Number two. And, and all that worked out. We knew we could do better if we stayed closer as in 19 is to 20 to Paul and showed him our loyalty. And 
but you know, look, if the, if the, if the only person we got out of that deal was Paul Heyman and no talent, we win. Yeah. Cause he's a brilliant TV writer and a great creative guy. And, uh, one of the smartest I've ever been around and I've been around some smart guys. Very, very lucky, very fortunate for me. So if the payment was the only individual we, we pulled out of, uh, extracted out of ECW, we win. But, it's, but in addition to Paul, we got a lot of other people that were real good. And then, you know, I hear, did you watch the, uh, one night stand and some of those ECW pay-per-views that I, we did? I was there. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Conrad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, they had the, they had the, they had the right card and the right building, right? Right. Atmosphere. I'm not, I wasn't, Hey, look, here's the funny part about that. I'm in charge of talent relations. And I didn't go to the show. Right. Not, I was, I didn't need to go. I was told, you know, you don't need to tell us, take a night off. We got, if this crew, we got together to put the show on, can't handle it. Then we got problems. Right. So, uh, and we had all the money. So thank, I think I want to believe that all the guys got a flat fee because we had no idea how it was going to do. And if you sell out, it was the Hammerstein ballroom. That's right. If you sell it out. How much is that going to be? It's not a huge gate. Yeah. No. So you got to get the guys a payday that they look forward to coming to earn, but they all really knew basically they were on a dress rehearsal. Right. In a lot of ways going forward. So, uh, but they got confidence out of that. They talk about that a lot. So I love the loyalty that a lot of those ECW cats have over their brand, even though they had some challenging times making ends meet at times, uh, with the company. So it's admirable, but Heyman was a leader of that deal. He was a, a unique motivator and, uh, we, we liked that trait, but it was obvious that he was very creative. I mean, my God, I knew that since I put him on his first announcing job on national TV, WCW back in the late eighties. So, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a plan. We knew what we wanted from ECW at the end of the day, we got everything we wanted from ECW. So, uh, Vince's positivity had a mo out of motive, excuse me, had a motive and it, and it worked out. Meltzer would say that, uh, it seems inevitable that Heyman is going to join the team sooner rather than later. And that this is a lot like smoky mountain in the end where there were deals that could keep the company going a little longer, but Cornette recognized the end was inevitable. And he, he thinks that Heyman is probably in a similar situation here. And Dave also freestyles that. Vince wanting to buy WCW is more about making sure no one else gets those valuable television slots. Whereas with ECW, there is no television to pick up. So maybe that's the difference. There was a library though. Yes, absolutely. The library had value knowing where we were going. Uh, you know, you're not buying contracts per se. Uh, you're buying the library. Cause that's a tangible, real, you can touch it. You can feel it uh, scenario. So that's how that worked out. It wasn't really, uh, you know, time, strong time slots and all that shit. You're talking about a very tentative, fragile, uh, syndicated TV market. That stuff is thick, fickle as hell. You could be here today, be on, you can be in prime access on some local Indies against jeopardy or wheel of fortune or whatever it may be, or you could just, or you could be on some, uh, isolated you at midnight on Saturday night. So the, the town, the, the library is what we were really interested in. 
and because again, Vince didn't have the product knowledge at that time on the, the, uh, positives and the negatives of the talent because he did not watch the show. So, uh, you know, he didn't know Joey styles is the commentary solo, you know, uh, and we hired Joey styles at some point who I thought was, uh, not managed well, but I thought he, Joey's a really good broadcaster. So that was a deal there. What time slots as much as it was, and I think Milch was wrong on that one. Uh, but it was the, 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 uh, library in general was what we had our eye on. Let's talk about, uh, some other behind the scenes maneuvering Meltzer would report that Bruce Pritchard is going to be spending more time working with the writing staff, which is now head up by Stephanie McMahon. Uh, he's going to try to insert more wrestling logic into the show. Meltzer would say there are three main writers, two of whom are mainstream television writers with Stephanie being the third. They're all big fans, but they don't know the wrestling basics about building programs and storylines. And that's where Pritchard will be helpful. He would also note that his brother, Tom and Michael Hayes had now have involvement in the writing process. Although the head booker is, has, and always will be Vince McMahon to this very day. Um, do you remember Meltzer's basically given a report here that the writing staff has hit the wall and that's the reason we're seeing a lot of the mid card stuff essentially be repeated where it's like, Hey, didn't, didn't they just do that storyline a few months ago with another guy? Do you remember? the writing team becoming a little burnout here in early 2001. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, what else are you going to do? You, 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 they got to dig deeper. They got to look at things differently. Uh, getting direction, you know, they write and Vince vetoes it. They come back with another submission. He vetoes it, you know, so then they end up just writing for one person. And, and they do that for job security and the lack of confrontation. Uh, the good thing about Heyman, if Heyman was on that team was that Heyman embraced confrontation and would have a different slant and a point of view on virtually than anybody else. Cause he had different visions that he explored and he cultivated. So, uh, I think there was some, some of that was going on. I mean, let's remember this is right before we got to Houston at the Astrodome at WrestleMania 17 and Austin turns heel. Was that good strategy? No. Was it a lame idea? Without a doubt. I talked to Steve just here a while back. And we were laughing about it. I said, here we got the, we got John Wayne. We wanted to be a Nazi. I never understood it. They had no better ideas. It was different and different. Doesn't always mean better. So, uh, Steve was, so, so in other words, you're saying to me, the guy that sold more tickets, more pay-per-views, more merchandise in the history of this company, i.e. the history of the business is, uh, we can't think of anything for him. You have to be shitting me and you call yourself a writer. Uh, your, your casting agent, your director, whatever you want to say you are that fits your ego in the, from the TV world. Cause you don't damn sure don't want to be known as a pro wrestling writer for God's sakes. That'd just be the kiss of death for, you know, Lord Conrad couldn't have that. Uh, so th that's, that's where I, I see that deal. The, the evidence in the hitting the wall could no, could be no better illustrated than the fact that, well, why don't we just turn Austin heel? Even though Steve wanted to be a heel, he wanted to try it cause it was being a heel is more fun than being a baby face. 
it was at one time, perhaps for some talents, but Austin was that quasi guy. He was, he had the significant, uh, uh, colors of gray. He wasn't, he was never told he did. He wrestled as a heel as a baby face. So I never really understood that. I was not for it from the beginning. We talked about Steve and I talked about, it. I talked with Vince about it until I was blue in the face and it, and I didn't close my deal. So yeah, they were, they hit the wall. Cause when you can't figure out an idea to use Austin as a baby face to get a heel hotter than hell and give Austin a reason to, to chase him or to confront him, then you're, you're not, you're not doing your work. Let's, uh, let's talk about drew Carey here for a moment. There's a drew Carey pay-per-view and the WWF has been promoting the shit out of it. And Meltzer thinks that maybe it was some sort of. Uh, cross promotion where, because drew was in the Royal rumble. Now the company will help promote the pay-per-view. He says, by the looks of it, you would think that it would be F was a co-promoter on the venture, but they're not. Um, I've always been fascinated by drew Carey and his little stint in WWF because it felt like he wanted to be anywhere, but there, uh, but we roll out the red carpet for him and he has, uh, a pitiful Royal rumble appearance. We promote his pay-per-view and then later we put him in the hall of fame. Meanwhile, Cindy Lauper from WrestleMania one, no such luck. Why do you think that yeah. is politics? Of course, okay. you know what the answer is Conrad politics somewhere along the way. She pissed in the wrong bowl of Cheerios. Either it was tough dealings or with her husband and manager at the time. I don't know what lingers there in the cloak of darkness. Uh, I was not, look, I think Drew Carey on the price is right. It's funny and entertaining. Sure. Uh, I think he's a very talented guy, but let's remember he started out as a stand-up comedian working before two or 300 people, like a Zanies, you know, working smaller houses. So when have, getting a big company like WWE that had a proven track record in selling pay-per-views to help sell your pay-per-view was a good business deal for him. Of course he got stretch out of it. And, uh, so he was excited about that. Obviously he was not excited about uh, the battle Royal, the Royal rumble, right? Because he, it was the unknown and there was physicality involved. He had to do a stunt. I don't know if he'd ever done a stunt before. Right. So you have apprehensions and you have worry, but what if I get hurt? So, uh, I, I, uh, I can understand his apprehensions, but I, I never thought, I thought we, I thought it was too, I thought it was a, wasn't as big a deal as we made it out to be. In other words, I think Drew Carey was very talented and still is still on TV, still making big money. All that is great in his arena. He's making big money. He came, he left his comfort zone and came over to us for that one night thing. And I think he was very apprehensive about it and insecure about it. He didn't want to look bad. None of those big high dollar athletes want to look bad. None of the talent want to look bad. So, uh, that's kind of the way I saw that, you know, you know, you hope that it's going to get you some stretch on TMZ or entertainment tonight or whatever the case may be. Some of those, any, any of those shows, the E network, all those things. But at the end of the day is, is that going to help your buy rate? I don't know. I really don't know. So I don't, I don't think it did quite honestly. I might be wrong about that too, Connie. In this era, there's an interesting piece of news that I kind of forgot. Bobby Eaton was signed to be the head trainer of the WWF's developmental territory in Memphis. What are your memories of that? Why didn't it work out? I mean, I I've always thought, man, if everybody praises him as being one of the best in ring all time, he should be a trainer. He was, but it didn't last. 
Any, any record? Well, there's a difference in being a great worker and being able to teach great working. That's true. So, uh, you know, Bobby's communication skills, albeit genuine, were not as refined as you, you might ideally want in a, a teacher. But if, if he just taught what he did, and you can learn what Bobby Eaton does, then you're going to be automatically a better worker. So I, I think that was part of it. And, I, and also, it might have been the money. That was not a high-paying gig. And Bobby, you know, uh, had family and obligations and need, need the cash. A lot of those guys in that, his era that made good money didn't save it. Not only did they not pay their taxes, they didn't even file the damn things. So, uh, it was, it was, it was tough. So I, I would think it's part of the cash was, might've been a big reason, but Bobby's communication skills, even though, you know, I've never had a bad conversation with him ever. And I understood Alabama. <laughs> I understand, I you still it. speak it all these years later. That's right. So, uh, but it, it certainly wasn't anything about, well, we found out he didn't know as much about wrestling as we thought he did. That's ridiculous. He just, I think was, he was a wrong place, wrong guy at the wrong time. But, but again, his, the love and respect that Bobby had earned got him that opportunity or the potential opportunity. So, uh, but that's all that was, I'm thinking probably more money than anything else. Road dog finds himself fired on January 26th. This is, um, pretty big news because just, I mean, he was one of the biggest stars in the company at one point and not that long before this, uh, had his personal situation just become unworkable. What can you tell us about this? I can't remember back that far on the specifics, but I assume that, uh, under word underscore assume that it had something to do with, uh, his, uh, demons, right? Don't know exactly the, the, the extent of everything. It's been a long time. Uh, but it was, it, look, I'll tell you this, uh, road dog was, so, was a very valuable member of the team. Uh, he found himself in that DX, uh, entity. He's discovered who he could be and what he could be. And, you know, he was making, he had some seven figure years working for us. <clears throat> and, uh, I remember talking to the late Bob Armstrong road dogs, dad, and we were, I said, I'm really proud of Brian and, and, uh, he's doing a great job. He's a hell of a hand. He's found himself in his role and his dad agreed. He said, I hope he takes all that money he's making to buy the farm. I don't know if you ever bought the farm or not. Uh, but. We would not have gotten rid of road dog on January 26th. If we had, uh, if we didn't have a real good reason, cause you don't throw away a, a, a lister guy, main event guy, you don't just get rid of him arbitrarily. So I don't, there was a good reason. I'm sure there was backup to it. And I, again, I assume it has something to do with drugs and alcohol. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the business, uh, we're going to skip all the XFL stuff. We've talked a lot about that in the past. It sort of is what it is, yeah. but I do want to briefly mention the wrestling piece of the company's business. Attendance is down 4.6%, but revenues for those live shows are up 15.4%. So I wondered how's that possible? Well, here's what we've been doing. Your average ticket price in 98 was 1884. Your average ticket price in 99 was 2384. Your average ticket price in 2000, 2885. We've started to see, Hey, we can, we can add $5 here and there, and they're still yeah. going to be here. And it makes a huge difference, right? Of course it does. It's absolutely. You're right. Uh, it, it was the, 
we looked at other touring events, you know, circus concerts, things of that nature, ice capades, whatever. And 2885 was, uh, it averaged 2885, meaning that there are some tickets cheaper than that. Of course. So I think we tried to basically just mirror what the, the, uh, the market would bear Conrad. And we felt like that the market would, would, would exceed or would accept that. And by and large, they did well, as yeah. long as we had something hot, we had Austin in the card. No, they definitely did. I mean, your average gate goes way up, uh, to give specifics here, you go from uh, 286,000 to 330,000. So you're, you're, you're carving off nearly an extra 50 grand per live event, uh, which is, is more to, uh, more cheese on your whopper, as you like to say, Yep. uh, pay-per-view buy rates are also up. Uh, they go from a 1.25 to a 1.34. The TV rating is actually down a little bit. Uh, down 3%, but some of that is probably because of, of everything that's been happening with the TV deal at the time. Let's talk about deals with Sean Michaels. You have a Ross report at the time where you're doing a bit of a blog online and you reveal that Sean Michaels had signed a contract for several years and, uh, Meltzer of course thinks this means he's going to be back on TV as a major character imminently. And you also talk about, um, signing a contract extension for Al snow and getting Rhino to sign his deal and Dave Taylor, um, also coming in, talk to me a little bit about Sean coming back, because this is something you've teased here on the show before, but at this point, nobody knew he would be able to wrestle, but you knew he wanted to, you just had to sort of convince him to sign, right? Yeah. I'd had to convince him that his did not lose his confidence, right? He, he was, uh, shattered, you know, he had not, he didn't have a lot of confidence. Uh, he was, he, he had all the traits of that. You could, you could lend to being burned out. Uh, I think he was burned out on the lifestyle that he was living and the life he was leading because uh, drugs and alcohol in it played a part too, too much of a part. So, uh, and you know, my pitch to him was, look, you owe it to your legacy and you owe it to the business to let these kids share in your wisdom and your expertise because you being around at that time, I was talking to him. He was a born again, Christian, uh, it was legit and he was drug free as best I knew. I, I had multiple meetings in San Antonio with him and his lawyer, skip, I can't remember skip's last name. He was skip McCormick. Really nice man. Sean had a good lawyer. I think his mom and dad probably, uh, helped Sean with getting selecting skip, who was a real honorable guy. And it's hard to use the word honorable and lawyer in the same sentence and not laugh out loud or have a spit take. But, uh, that was the deal. I said, you know, if, if you don't wrestle another match, which would be a crime by the way, but you know, you're better than anybody we got, uh, that, uh, it's going to be horrible but at least you can be around the talent and you can see some young kid who grew up idolizing you that is starting to make a turn on the wrong road. And I believe you have the judgment and the, you certainly have the ability to spot that and to help correct it and let these kids live their dream. So, uh, that was, that was my pitch on that deal. It wasn't said, I want you to, you know, we want you to come back and have this program, with this guy, another program, with this guy, it didn't, I didn't do any booking because that wasn't my area. 
but I knew what he could mean to our company. And I knew that him having success return success after that four year absence would be great for his, his psyche, for his demeanor, the whole nine yards. Cause he was at a whole different place than he was when he left four years earlier, whole different place, different dude. So that's, that's kind of that situation. And all those other guys that we hired, nobody could look at that list of the Al Snows and, and Rhino, Dave Taylor, uh, Taz and say that they weren't talented guys. All of them had something to add to the equation in a positive way. And of course, uh, teaching coaching was one area that they all were, were excelled at and had done well in. So, uh, again, we we're starting to get everything we wanted from ECW. We were getting, you know, we're, we're hiring the talents that we wanted. Uh, you know, I don't have any regrets in those guys we signed. So, uh, anyway, it's all, I, I like this, this thing here. It says, uh, Rhino signed his contract believed to be a hundred grand, which is about right. Uh, probably two grand a week. Uh, and, uh, and unreality for three years, plus an option for a fourth year. Plus get this Conrad, a whopping $5,000 signing bonus. He probably, well, look, here's, he probably needed to pay some bills or something. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Five grand is relative relative. Yeah. Is it for some people, it means nothing. For some people, it means everything. It means getting your lights. I'm not saying Rhino had his lights turned off or anything like that, but seriously, right. Five grand and new money can help you get caught up on some of your things, some of your bills. So it's just a different place, different time. And, uh, so anyway, and, and they, all those guys, we were trying to build that tough enough, uh, brand franchise. And we felt like that all those people, uh, that we hired that, uh, that group that I just mentioned had the skill sets to teach fundamentals, bring some personality to the show. And of course we all know that they're all going to try to get themselves over. That's the nature of the beast. Talent can't help that. I'm, I'm not knocking them either by it, but they got, if they can show on TV that they're an entertaining character, they're good communicators, they have a gift of gab, blah, blah, blah. Then Vince sees that. And then he might be able to use those skills, uh, within the body of raw or SmackDown. Let's talk about some other skills coming into the company. Meltzer would report that the company has signed John Heidenreich, a former WLAF player said to be six, seven and 320 pounds ripped. He's going to get a developmental contract after some connections with the UPW who we've talked about a lot out in California. And, uh, it's also written WBF is going to send a major star to the UPW show, which at this point will also be attended by Jim Ross and Bill Moody, AKA Paul Bearer. So you guys had a pretty good relationship with UPW. I mean, you're going to find a lot of talent out there, including John Cena, but Heidenreich, what do you remember about him coming in? He was a size hire, had the pro football background, uh, great facials, uh, distinctively in uh, compelling look, but he was green as grass. He's a football guy. Uh, so he was a size hire and, you know, I don't remember too many issues with John, to be honest with you, but I just remember his aptitude for the genre itself was not very refined. <coughs> Pardon me. So, uh, but we, but the potential, here's the thing. You take a flower to go like, you don't pay him a whole lot of money, but you pay him enough money to keep him interested, pay his bills. So he can focus on training. 
But we thought, well, this son of a bitch is big and impressive and has a, a distinctive look. If we could get him fundamentally sound and teach him, teach him, uh, how to do basic rudimentary things in the ring that a big man would do, then we would be, uh, we'd be ahead of our head of the curve. It's just the fact that, you know, some, some guys have the aptitude for the business and some guys just don't. And in my opinion, and I might be wrong and the John Heidenreich fan club out there might disagree, but I thought that John had a problem assimilating the nuances of being a pro wrestling performer, but as far as a bad guy or anything, no, he just, some guys just don't have, you know, if you didn't grow up a fan, you don't, you know, aware of the product as much, or, or you just, you could disconnect it with it at some point in your formative years. Sometimes it's hard to regain that. Uh, and I think that's the case with John. I, I, the only thing I remember about John significantly was when he, uh, molested Michael Cole in that backstage scene. You remember that? Uh, yeah. So it was another creative, Hey, let's <laughs> be sensational, you know, and whatever, but it was, was it going to sell any tickets? How are you going to advertise that? Uh, Cole's molester in main event. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. And it's not something, it's not some, molestation is not something you'd probably honor or want to underscore. So anyways, again, one of those ill thought out, don't have a better idea. Let's try this ideas. Let's talk a little bit about Jerry Lawler. Uh, he's your, your broadcast partner here. Uh, unfortunately, this is going to be the last pay-per-view you're going to call with him for a while because his wife is going to wind up getting let go. Uh, I believe that happened on February 27th in Tucson, Arizona. I only say that because she's on this show. Uh, she's on, uh, the raw show, uh, on February 26th in Phoenix, but the next day in Tucson, she's not on the show and never again. So I'm pretty sure it happened that day in Tucson. And I know we've talked about this before, but in hindsight, do you think that's one of Lawler's biggest regrets? There he is right there calling to chime in and give us his two cents. He was wondering what we were talking about. Uh, his ears were burning. Yeah. The question was what Conrad again? I'm sorry. Lawler, 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 this is his last pay-per-view yeah, for a while. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't connect all those dots. Well, you know, I've said this before, you know, I, I thought the world of Stacy, you know, Jan and I went to their wedding in Vegas, sticking to Vegas, uh, Jan and Stacy became good buddies. Because Lawler and I were together a lot, you know, we did pay-per-views and things as people know. So sometimes in those big events, you would bring your significant other to enjoy the long weekend or whatever it may be. Uh, and you know, she just was a sweetheart. I thought, but she apparently based on what the writers said, those same writers that couldn't find an idea for the stone cold baby face to do viably said she was too hard to work with. So they caught Vince on a day that he was not in a, a, a real great mood. Apparently. Right. So all I got called in Vince's office. I want her gone. What? And I want her gone today. So, you know, there's where you really, that's where your job comes very challenging. Look, I would, there's no way I'd have fired her. No matter what the writer said without talking to the writers and telling me what did she do that you believe merits her dismissal? 
explain to me so I know. Uh, I didn't do that because I had no room to do that. Uh, I asked, can I do some checking around? No, she's gone. Well, you know, you got a decision maker, Conrad. It's not like, well, I, I'm, you know, I would, I'd have done anything. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have challenged Vince in that deal. There's no, well, you're stupid. If you do that, you know, that's what he wanted because I knew that if we just, if we got past this day and, and she took some time off that, uh, there's a good chance we could bring her back. He, he forgives, you know, Hey, look at me. I've been there in and out, in and out. Right. So I know that there's a propensity to do that by him. But I didn't also, we didn't count on, and I don't think Vince did either, that Lawler was going to support her and leave. Right. And uh, that was a little different uh, of a twist to the plot. So, but apparently, you know, just the, some of the writers and, and the, uh, who were producing her segments, you know, she, you know, the thing about Stacy, unlike a lot of the women, Stacy had product knowledge. She lived the business since she was a teenager, being Lawler's girlfriend and then his wife. So she had a little bit more of a knowledge and a basic fundamental skill set as far as the psychology and the understanding of the product than did a lot of the other divas. And with that said, uh, she would question things, ask questions. It wasn't like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You're stupid, whatever. It says she would ask for the logic behind something that she was going to do, which is if you're, if you're a good producer, you got no problem with talent asking questions, right? Because you can explain it and sell it to them. But in any event, they lost patience, this crew of creative in that regard. And she was out. Then Lawler says he's out. So, uh. You know, he's going to, he's not, he, he felt like he was doing the right thing and I admire what he did. Uh, but it was something we hadn't planned on certainly. And, and losing Lawler off the broadcast team was significant in my opinion. It was, it was to me, certainly was to me. He was my partner and you know, it's, uh, he was my Olivia Benson. You know, he was my partner. Of course, I'm going to be, uh, Elliot Staber. You must not watch, uh. SVU. No, <laughs> uh, but seriously, she, it just, it was an unfortunate deal all the way around a lot of overreaction. I thought that the writers slash producers, whomever had issues that were unwarranted and was a little bit of knee jerk. Yeah. Okay. Stacy, we've got these problems. We're going to smooth this out with the writers. I want to send you home for a month. I'll take care of you financially while you're off. So you're not going to get behind on your bills, even though Lawler's making great money. But she, you know, something about being independent and 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 uh, you know, keep earning your keep and and ha- having a sense of accomplishment. Sure. But I didn't get a chance to do that. That's how I would have handled it. I didn't get a chance to do that. So, uh, and then Jerry, so well, I got to go talk to Vince. I said, well, that's the only way it's going to get solved. So he went to Vince, and Vince rebuked him. Can't do it. We're done. Well, then I'm done. Well, I hate to hear that, but that's where we are. So it was, it was a tough day. You know, luckily the aforementioned Paul Heyman was standing in the shadows and he was, a when I was asked about what now, you know, kind of what now and answering my own question, Heyman was the, the obvious answer. Right. And I thought for 
two guys that had not worked together since uh, WCW days that we caught up very quickly. And I thought that the, our, our team was entertaining and, uh, kind of combustible, controversial, uh, Heyman knew how to piss me off and get red ass Jr. going. I knew how to do the same to him. Uh, so it, it, for some bizarre, perverse reason, our, uh, on air quote unquote hate, there was never any hate, but we've played part parlayed it like it was. So, and people, t- I think, I think some people tuned in to see who's going to blow up first tonight. Cause every week there was some shit going on. Let's talk about the pay-per-view. Here we are. There's a match on Sunday night heat. That's worth discussing. We got Rikishi beating Matt Hardy by DQ in about four minutes. Uh, Rikishi's mouth is busted open early. Uh, Lita comes in and tries to interfere with a low blow for the DQ. And then Jeff runs in and does a corkscrew body block. And then eventually Haku comes out and boy, everybody scatters. Uh, you guys had just picked up Haku from WCW. Uh, he, he sort of wasn't on their radar, even though he was their hardcore champion. So you mm-hmm. called him the Wednesday before the rumble. He makes a big surprise there, even though he was just won the hardcore title for WCW. Ming is a good pickup, no matter what name he uses or, or what he's coming in from. He's a guy you want on your roster, no matter what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, I'm trying to fix my light here. He was a keeper. Uh, and Vince liked him. That always helps. Um, and a nice guy, a good locker room guy. And we've, we've talked about his ferocity and, and, you know, being a badass. and he was, and he is, I got a lot of respect for me. You know, his kids, uh, he's got two kids in new Japan that do a hell of a job. Yes, they do. Yeah. They're good. I I'd love to have them in AEW somewhere down the road. They're just very talented. I love their intensity. They got the right DNA, man. They get it. And they, uh, they bring it. I, I appreciate that. So we were trying to come up that week and there are other calls I made that week at the week of the rumble to get some surprises brought in honky talk man was one. I remember having the conversation with honky talk man. You uh, would like for you to enter the Royal rumble. I don't know what number, I don't know how long you'll be in. I know you're not winning it and here's what I'll pay you. Simple. So, and as, and, and, and Wayne. I, AKA the uh, winning Ferris, AKA the honky tonk man was doing a lot of indie dates. I knew he, I knew that he wasn't making the money that I was going to pay him for the rumble. So I thought it'd be an easy close. And it was because it still gets you a dress rehearsal with the, with the, the, uh, with Caesar. Yeah. And, and maybe Caesar sees something that there's a little bit left in that persona. And maybe that persona gets an extension on that shelf life. So uh, honky came in to do that. Ming same, basic same way. Uh, you know, we needed some fresh faces for the rumble and he had a great reputation. He had a unique look. He was experienced veteran. He knew how to travel. He knew how to interface in the locker room. A lot of things that a lot of fans don't think about, uh, Ming did have checked all those boxes. Hey, chat me up about the name Caesar. I think you've told us before, when you first joined the company back in 93, one of the office people referred to Vince as Caesar. Who, who was that? Do you remember? Strongbow. Yeah. Chief J Strongbow referred to Vince as Caesar, uh, i.e. Julius Caesar, the emperor, the king, uh, the, 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 the man. 
So it was Caesar. I had, there were so many nicknames, you know, uh, Strongbow was a nickname King. I think he called, uh, Patterson wimpy out of the character that was in the Popeye cartoons. Yeah. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Um, everybody had a nickname, uh, and, and, and they're all one word nicknames. Yeah. You know, well, kind of hyphenated golden boy was Arnie. Uh, so, but yeah, Caesar was Vince and, uh, you, you the, what you didn't want to hear, such a young guy like me that was going in and had, had not been in that kind of environment exactly like the uniqueness of WWF at the time was, uh, you know, uh, you didn't want to hear, Oh, Caesar's in a bad mood today. Right. Stay clear, kid. Stay clear. Thanks. So, and that's what we did. You know, Caesar as in Julius Caesar. Let's talk about the uh, pay-per-view itself. Big show is going to wind up the hardcore champion in a singles match that turned into a battle Royal with Raven, Steve Blackman, hardcore, Holly crash, Holly and Billy Gunn. Uh, it gets a star and a half. There's lots of little shenanigans here. Uh, you see Molly, Holly and Ninja girl run in and Molly's using a garbage can shot on Ninja girl and big show choke slams Raven on a garbage can to get the title. I mean, listen, there's lots of stuff and fun and silliness, but I get the impression that you weren't really a fan of any of this hardcore stuff. No, too gimmicky for me. Uh, and I'll call a lot of gimmick matches. So it's not like, well, if you call this, you call that, you know, you narrated the, uh, uh, corpse thing, the Katie Vick stuff, things of that nature. How could you not like this? Because I just didn't, I grew up in an era where hardcore wrestling was a, was a kind of a, uh, subsidiary of, uh, the brass knucks title. Watson made the brass knucks title very, very popular in mid South back in the way back in the day. So a guy like the miserable SOB Bob sweet was a perfect, uh, brass knucks champion. Cause there's no DQ. It's just a lot of juice and you could use gimmicks and loaded gloves and loaded fists and blah, blah, blah. It was taking more seriously. It was more reality based because of the coarse and graphic nature of the match, how the matches were booked in that era. Then all of a sudden, uh, the 24 seven title, which is totally unrealistic, uh, and so forth. Then that became the new version of the brass knucks title. Right. I was envisioning more, uh, a sporadic appearance of that title. I was looking for. When you watch that match, you knew what you're going to get. It's going to be very violent, very physical, very graphic at times. This became a comedy show. It's that way today. Any fan listening, you may enjoy it because of the entertainment content. Conrad, do you enjoy 20, the 24 seven title? Nope. It's a, it's a comedy piece. Now it's, it's a comedy piece. That's not presented as a comedy piece. Right. And that's my issue. So I'm not a big fan of it. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm not there and it doesn't matter what I think anyway, but bottom line is, I don't think, I think it's lost its luster. Sure. And, and how many times can our truth become a champion? <laughs> well, you know, Vince loves our truth and yeah. I, I don't know who doesn't as far as just being a good human being and funny and a, and a team player, uh, and for a guy, his age, how he looks is pretty amazing, but it's just a, it's a comedy feature. 
And I, I would like it better if it was featured as a comedy feature where there's some laughter by the announcers and there was some fun and fun presentation. I don't feel that or sense that. And maybe it's there and I just miss it because I don't watch as very much WWE product, not because I'm boycotting it, just time and inclination. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm not a big fan of, the, of that deal. Now this here, this match, uh, if you look at all those talents, Billy Gunn, Bob Holly, crash, uh, Blackman, Raven, all those guys are good hands. Oh yeah. They're not comedy characters. They became comedy characters, especially like a crash Holly or whatever. And sometimes guys will see these matches and they say, well, this is not off because all we're going to do is, as Patterson would say, ha ha. We're going to do ha ha. I had to learn what that meant too. Oh, this match is going to be just a lot of ha ha. What does that mean? They're going to stop in the middle of the match to tell jokes. I don't know. You mean ha ha. So, uh, that's what it was, but it was, it was interestingly booked, you know, it had, you know, Molly was in it. I was, I'm a big fan of Molly, Holly, Nora Greenwald. I used to call her Nora, Miss Greenwald at TV. She'd just laugh. What a sweetheart she is. And, uh, can't tell you how much she contributed to our team effort. And a lot of divas have made a lot more money than, than the Nora. Old Nora and among others, a debt of gratitude for helping to learn the ropes. So no, I'm not a big fan of the hardcore stuff, but you know, this one was not horrible. It wasn't as comedically oriented as most of them are, especially today. Let's talk about what else is happening here. We see earlier in the day, the WWF champion, Kurt angle arrived by limousine. He's interviewed here by Kevin Kelly and responding to Kelly's question about how he was feeling angle insists he wasn't at all worried about facing the rock later tonight. Back live in the arena, we see Lillian Garcia interview Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Let's take a time out. I want to ask, what do you think of Kevin Kelly's work? He's done a great job over with New Japan, but yeah, I was really surprised that uh, maybe did he fall out of favor with Caesar? Why did he not stick around the company here longer? I think uh, I'm not sure Kevin could answer that better than I, obviously, but I think I think his issue may have been uh, the origins of his issue that caused him to leave may have been with Kevin Dunn. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure that I know that there was in the very beginning when they, they t- changed his name from his real name of Kevin foot, uh, F O O T E that, uh, he, uh, and was going to be named Kevin Kelly. There was something as silly as he wanted a Kelly to have an E in it. K E L L E Y. I believe something or vice versa. And, uh, that was an issue that he, he died on the wrong hill as I remember. And I might be wrong. Kevin could, could correct me. Uh, but I think that he and Kevin Dunn had a chat and it was the wrong thing to chat about on the wrong day. Don't die on that hill. Whether you want another vowel in your name or not. Hang on, hang on. Kevin Kelly is no longer with WWE because he wanted, he got in a fight with Kevin Dunn about the No, I didn't e. say that, Conrad. I, I know, say that. but that's what the clickbait sites are going to say. And I just want to make sure we're telling no, the story right. I don't know why he finally, finally got let go other than them thinking we just don't have a place for him. I always, I worked with Kevin on raw. I worked with Kevin. I even worked with Kevin, uh, uh, for access TV on, on a new Japan show or two. Yeah. And I always like working with Kevin. He's always well-prepared. He was respectful. He's a good kid. He's not a kid anymore. He's a good guy. And don't think that that uh, doing voiceovers for new Japan on a remote location is easy technologically or whatever. 
you know, I, I, I wish so many times back in my run with access TV, and we were doing those voiceovers with Josh Barnett. I wish we could have been there live. It'd been so much better, so much better than sitting in a room about this size and looking at a big TV screen and calling matches. There's no ambience. There's no, there's no feel you got to create it. And then if you create it, then it's a little bit fabricated, but, uh, I know that they, they didn't start off on the right foot, no pun intended. And I think that Billy Gunn, who had worked with Kevin Kelly in Florida, some, uh, organization, some indie type organization, uh, was the guy that got him, got to hand his tape off to Kevin. Kevin Dunn and, you know, he had a decent look and he had product knowledge and, you know, he was very motivated. He's a big fan of the, of the genre. So I, I had no issues with Kevin ever, not one time, but I know, I know that he kind of started off the wrong foot. He may have taken himself too seriously. We all have, we all still do. So, uh, but that, that was the deal there. He, he did a nice job. He, I just thought he'd probably be there for years and years. And hope probably he did too. I hope somebody listening does some sort of a drawing or recreation of Kevin Dunn and Kevin Kelly battling over the letter E that said it on like Sesame street. That's tremendous. Yeah. It was, it was all about a vowel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a wheel of fortune deal in there too. Chris Jericho is going to retain the intercontinental title over Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit and X-Pac three and a half stars. They get 12 minutes and 18 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say they tease Benoit and Guerrero joining forces. So of course they wind up turning on each other, presumably to start a program to turn Benoit face lots of, uh, near falls and saves just incredible helped out X-Pac and took one great bump when Benoit knocked him off of the apron. Jericho gets the walls of Jericho on everyone. And finally credible came out with X-Pac in the walls. Uh, Benoit does a dragon suplex on Jericho for a near fall. We get the lion salt for a near fall, an X factor, but Benoit breaks it up. We get the cross face on Xbox, but Guerrero breaks it up. Finally, Guerrero does a, a low neck breaker on Benoit, but it's broken up and it ends with Jericho doing a rolling reverse cradle on Xbox for the win. Listen, four very, very capable performers. We know three of these guys are best of friends. Uh, it felt like once upon a time, Xbox was the measuring stick in wrestling as to whether or not you could go. And all of these guys could go. This is a forgotten, really fun match. What'd you think? It was the right match to start the show off with. I've often said how important the first match is. If you're going to be on a pay-per-view and you're a wrestler, it's not a bad draw to be either first or last. So, so in your head, you're just like, let's forget the whole hardcore shit. This is the real first match, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're officially underway. And, 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 and look, the, the. I, I put these guys over in the hardcore match Yeah, and deservedly. So compare that match and the talents within that match to this match, this match was star studded. Yeah. These are four of the very best workers in the world at that time. And of course, all the, the naysayers could go back and look at it and say, well, about, well, 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 what? Jericho, Guerrero, Benoit, and X-Pac. You've got to be shitting me telling me, well, there's that, that one time, you know, in 1834, uh, you know. So anyway, uh, I love this match. I thought it was very, very well worked. I thought that the thing about it is got to understand as a fan and as a student of the game, you get four guys that have all got to be 
on the same page regarding being unselfish and allowing your peers to get some of their quote unquote shit in, let them do their best stuff because their best stuff is what the fans deserve, especially if you're watching on pay-per-view. And if you paid an average of $28 and change for your ticket, which is probably higher in pay-per-view. So I, I, I like this match. You know, uh, all those guys are my hires. Our team's higher, better said. Uh, still working with Jericho on Wednesday nights on TNT. And, uh, you know, and I miss Eddie and Chris and Xbox, one of my dearest friends to this very day. We became friends later on because he could be a little bit of a problem child uh, in that, in those eras, but, uh, he never was malicious or mean spirited. He just had issues. He wasn't controlling well. And, uh, so that's, that's a medical issue. In my view, that's not a character thing where he, oh, he's just, he's rotten to the core. Sean Walton was never, ever rotten to the core. Sean Walton has a good heart, especially today. I know he's getting his knees fixed or something. Uh, he's, you know, wear and tear, man, but what a smart kid. He, he could be very easy on somebody's booking team. Uh, I'm surprised that he isn't. I think maybe his reputation follows him too closely and maybe somewhat unwarranted in today's world, but uh, he's a, he got a very, very bright mind. I think that's why his relationship with, uh, Nash and hall was, was, uh, so everlasting, even though Waltman was not the big star positions, the big star that Nash and Hall were, uh, I remember Strongbow called him the trailer hitch. Sean Walton's nickname was the trailer hitch. Uh, have you seen trailer hitch? No, no, sir. Uh, I did not. I have not. So, uh, he might be outside smoking. Hell, I don't know where he is chief. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'll go, I'll go. You want me to find him for you? Well, if you see him, tell me I need to talk to him. Okay. Chief, I will. That's trailer hitch, right? Yeah. Trailer hitch. <laughs> okay. So it was a great match, man. And, I quite frankly, uh, three and a half stars might've been a little soft. Yeah. I thought it was real good. Let's talk about backstage. We see triple H, uh, he's getting his rips, his wrist taped while, uh, Vince is trying to hint to commissioner William Regal that he should prevent this match between Stephanie and Trish Stratus. Then we go to the WWF New York test is on stage here and he's asked for a prediction uh, for the match between his ex fiance and his former manager. And test says he's looking forward to seeing both women beat the hell out of each other yeah. to determine who was the biggest trash bag. hoe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the arena, William Regal is trying to stop Trish from going to the ring, but of course he has no luck. And that means it's going to happen. Stephanie pins Trish in eight minutes and 30 seconds. Meltzer would say this match was a miracle. Uh, Vince set it up to Regal saying, you know what to do, but Regal had no clue what that meant. Uh, so they do the, uh, Meltzer would say they do the requisite stuff with Trish's shorts being pulled off, showing her thong panties, no shirts were pulled off. Uh, but eventually there is a pinfall. Uh, <laughs> Regal gives a neck breaker and leaves allows Shane or, or Stephanie to get the pin. And after the match, Vince says he wants a tag match with he and Trish against Regal and Stephanie two and a quarter stars. Listen, there's lots of, uh, maybe not ha ha, but Gaga here. Um, does this belong on a pay-per-view? I mean, this is more storyline than competition. Let's say, you. Oh, of course. Yes. It belongs on a pay-per-view without a doubt. Everything can't be blood and guts. Everything's got, it needs to have a little bit different tone and tenor. 
this as an attraction match. Anything you thought it was going to be anything else would be uh, naive because Stephanie had not had that much training experience wrestling. You know, Stephanie's one of the best heels we, we had during the attitude era. Well, I've often said her dad was the best heel we had. And I still believe that. And I'll believe that to my, to my dying day because the old man helped make stone cold and stone cold helped put this company on his shoulders and led it to being a publicly traded company. We see the results of that right now. Right. Simple math. Just go back and do the history. Cause I'm sure somebody's gonna say, well, I thought so good. I'm not going to argue your opinion. See, unlike a lot of people online, Conrad, I care about your opinion, but I'm not going to argue that you have a different opinion than me. To me, that kills any basic fundamental reasoning for debate or discussion. Uh, but I thought the match, look, Meltzer gave it two and a quarter stars. If you'd asked me before the match, knowing Meltzer's grading curve, I'd have said, there's no way in hell it's going to do two and a quarter stars. I look back at that scenario and say it was a tribute to the work ethic and whoever the agent was to put the damn thing together. And the fact that the women did not want to go out and embarrass themselves. They want to go out and have a good match, but it was an attraction match. It was an attraction match. So, uh, but I had no problem with being on pay-per-view whatsoever. I mean, you got two very sexy, uh, athletic women, you know, good shape, look good. Uh, you had a nice little story surrounding it to kind of hide some of their deficiencies, getting Regal involved. And now Vince wants to piece the action. It was leading to something. So I, I, I thought it belonged on the pay-per-view and, and about the spot that it was in. Let's get to uh, a commercial for WrestleMania 17. And then we see a furious Vince McMahon scold William Regal backstage. And he books the two of them in this tag match. As we said, it's going to be on raw Vince and Trish against Regal and Steph. Then we get a little package to promote how we got here for triple H and stone cold, Steve Austin and Michael Cole then asks Austin, if he's ready to enter hell and Austin just looks at him and walks away. This is a two out of three falls match. The feud began back at SummerSlam 99. This has been a long time coming. Of course, this is the payoff for the Rikishi. I did it for the rock. Somebody hit Austin with a car storyline. Now we're finally here. Uh, it was announced as being a two out of three falls match on February 5th. The first fall is a singles match. The second fight or second fall rather is a street fight. And the third fall is a steel cage match. And then Vince institutes a zero tolerance policy between the two saying, if anyone attacks each other before no way out, Austin suspended and he'll lose his WrestleMania match and triple H will be suspended for six months. So of course we're off to the races here. They get plenty of time, especially in this era, 39 minutes, 27 seconds, uh, before the bell even rings, you say, this is going to be a match of the year candidate. And Meltzer would say that put a lot of pressure on the guys, but they really did deliver. Well, they didn't hear me, Conrad. They were in a ring and I was on the headset. So I don't know how much pressure put on the guys, (laughs) quite frankly. Uh, but you just had a figure that. All those guys booked that match. Yeah. Austin and, and triple H picked their own poison. Knowing that they had a hand in booking their match. You knew that they were going to give you extra effort because they wanted their creation to be successful and be a, you know, match of the match of the night scenario type thing. 
So that's why I said it could be a match of the year because it had three distinctly different approaches. Uh, and the stipulations were different and I, I thought that was pretty cool. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, I, I like that, that it was a unique, I like the three-way match quite frankly, or the three stipulations, because again, the talents that are involved in it had an emotional investment because they helped create the scenario and create the booking of the match. I just didn't see two guys with strong personalities that had major, you know, major WrestleMania main event level, uh, aspirations on a daily basis, uh, failing in this one. I just thought it was going to be really special. And I thought it was a good match. Well, how about this? Meltzer loved it. He says triple H in particular, put on a world-class performance on par with any great heel in their best match in the United States. Um, they pull out all the stops here too. The street fight shows two, two suplexes on the ramp. They're brawling in the stands. Austin's nailing a bunch of chair shots, uh, to the back and then a ton to triple H's knee. He even brings out a two by four wrapped in barbed wire. I mean, some crazy stuff here. I, I can't recommend this one enough, man. Um, if you're going to watch one match from this show, I think this is it four and three quarter stars. Um, Meltzer would say for all the reasons Austin got over as a face triple H should as well. It's funny as hell. The triple H used to complain about the rock showing his ass whenever rock played heel because he was trying to stay cool as a heel instead of get the face over as the face. But when put in the same situation, triple H plays the same game, but he put on another great performance here four and three quarter stars. What'd you think watching this one back? It's a long match, nearly 40 minutes, but dude, worth awesome. the time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Conrad. It's awesome. And for two fans like you and I are, and been lifelong fans for a match like that to stand out still to this very day, all these years later, I think tells us all we need to know. Uh, they were given that much time because they lobbied for it. They convinced Vince that they needed it. He agreed with them. Good decision. And when they came up with the, uh, different stipulations, he, he relied on their instincts to, uh, go along with it. So I really thought the presentation was excellent. Uh, you know, it's four and three quarter stars that early in the show is uh badass. Oh, unbelievable. And the only problem you have is whoever follows it's going to be going to have a hard time following that. And, and they he, did. And they did. Steven Richards pins Jerry Lawler five and a half minutes. The steps were if Lawler won, Cat would strip. And if Richards won, Cat would have to join RTC. Uh, since they had no little in on the screen as a parental warning before the show, you pretty well know that Richards is winning. Lawler did a pretty good job of old school psychology. Ivory twice tried to hit Lawler with her belt behind the referee's back, but Lawler gets away. Cat got the belt and tries to hit Richards, but instead hits Lawler. Womp, womp, womp. Who's pinned? <laughs> RTC then comes out and puts Cat in a burlap sack and takes her away. Uh, he would write, it would be the wrong call to call this a good match, but it held up after that classic far better than one would have thought. Yep. Star and a half. And ultimately, it's this whole cat in the RTC storyline that is the death knell for her WWE run, right? Yeah, pretty much. She didn't, maybe she wasn't crazy about the entire presentation of it. I don't know. And, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a catalyst for the beginning of the end for uh, Stacy, unfortunately. Next up, we see the Dudleys win a three-way over edge and Christian and undertaker and Kane to keep the titles in 1206. It's a tables match. And, uh, Meltzer would say most of the match was undertaker and Kane playing Superman. 
A few near table spots, Rikishi and Haku came out to brawl with Undertaker and Kane as they had Edge and Christian set up to take a double table breaking powerbomb spot. With them brawling in the rampway inside the ring, Edge went to spear Bubba, but hit the table, which didn't break, which caused a groan from the crowd. So the Dudleys gave Christian a 3D through the table for the win. I think when you see this on paper, an ECW tag team, a couple of WWF favorites and two WWF icons, you just assume the Dudleys are not coming out victorious, but they found a way here and they're one of my favorites. I'm glad to see it. Two stars, nice little storytelling. It's, you know, probably not the original plan with the 3d, but it's a hell of an audible after you, you don't break the yeah. table spot the first time. Yeah. Good audible. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bubba and Devon always delivered. They, they may not have always liked to pay off. They may not have always liked the creative, but when they were assigned a task and the play was called by the head coach, i.e. Vince McMahon, they ran the play and they ran it as well, uh, as they could. So, uh, yeah. And then you, this is a, look at this card. I mean, this, this match here, you talk about star studded. We revert back to the four way with Jericho and company. Here's six guys that are. Hall of Fame guys, right? And uh, and, and I thought they delivered really well. Two stars. Eh, I'd probably give a little bit more than that, but I'm partial. But it was it was a good outing for everybody. And the Dudley's calling up that that uh, audible, which I assume was probably Bubba's call, uh, was the right thing to do. Well, here we are. It's time for the world title. It's uh, Kurt Angle defending against the man he beat for the title, The Rock. As a reminder at no mercy angle beat rock for the belt and Armageddon angle would pin the rock to retain the title in the hell in a cell match that had well, everybody else on January 1st, the rock would lose a number one contenders match to Kane by count out because angle interfered. And a few days later on SmackDown, he would lose a non-title match to angle by DQ because he was attacking angle with a steel chair. And then on the February 8th, SmackDown, the rock beat big show to become the number one contender. And here we are. The rock is going to regain the world title for a record breaking sixth time. At this point, the only two guys to hold it five times were Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart. So that's a pretty big deal here for him to pass those guys. He pins Kurt angle in 16 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, Taz is going to be doing commentary here with you. And he did after the fourth match. So once Lawler has his match, uh, it's just you guys. From yeah, the that's rest why of the Taz way. came in. Lawler yeah. had his match and. And all this, I couldn't remember the exact setup for that thing. Uh, but that gave, uh, I think Taz was on SmackDown at that time. That's obviously. right. Yep. So it gave SmackDown some love and, uh, I enjoyed working with Taz always did, you know, uh, but nonetheless, he, uh, he said, in, we probably both tried too hard to get protect angle. Uh, that might've been more obvious than, than, than we should have been. That's you know, hindsight's 2020. Uh, the thing I, I revert back to the beginning of the show, the pay-per-view where angle gets out of the limo. Right. And he says, he's not worried. Yeah. Wrong psychology. Why would you do that? Yeah. Why wouldn't he put the edge and where you see pressure, there's pressure on the champion. He realizes he's, he's up against perhaps, a, on this night, an unbeatable guy. Right. And it would add a lot more drama to the match and the build up and you know, it gave us a little something to hang our hat on throughout the show. When promoting the main event, I just thought it was the wrong psychology, the arrogant heel. 
I got this, you know, I'm, we're good. Uh, just didn't think it was a, the right thing to do psychologically, but uh, I really enjoyed the match, uh, enjoyed working with Taz, enjoyed working with, uh, you know, working with the Lawler until he, until he had his match. Uh, but it was different. You know, you go from Memphis, Memphis the Memphian to a long, to a New York guy, which only means you, they sound different. Doesn't mean that one's better than the other, just they sound different. So there's a little adjustment made there, timing wise and so forth. But uh Taz as a veteran was a was a he 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 figured out how to get in that same rhythm. So uh, there we had it. You know, we called that that last match together and and I thought we did a decent job, quite frankly. But I would have been the other psychology. I'd have had the champion going in worried that he's in there with this phenom phenom. He's already been the champion five times, right? How do you dismiss that psychologically? How would you even think about dismissing it? So that would be my only critique of that going into the match. But I thought those guys had a hell of an outing. They do have a hell of an outing and in an attempt to ruin a great match, big show comes out and choke slams, the referee, Mike Kyoto, as well as the rock and Kurt angle, and then walk walks off. So angle has rock pinned here. Uh, Tim white and Earl Hebner are trying to help Kyoto off. Hebner's carrying Kyoto off, sees a pin attempt, runs in the ring. That causes Kyoto to fall down, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, they continue with a bunch of near falls. Eventually, Angle kicks out of the people's elbow. Angle undoes the padding on the turnbuckle and rams the rock into it, then hits the Olympic slam, but it's a near fall. He misses a charge, hits the exposed metal buckle, and Rock gives him a rock bottom for a near fall. And Meltzer would say, Angle never really kicked out, but the ref held up the count, which was kind of weird. But they announced he kicked out. Something was majorly screwed up here. Apparently Hebner not realizing that was the finish. Rock went right back for the rock bottom for a second time, and this time it was the pin. Four and a quarter stars. Pretty rare snafu here by Hebner. It feels like Hebner was the golden boy, but uh this one maybe well, he might not worse. have got the finish because that wasn't his match. Somebody the the I'm not blaming Hebner. Right. Hebner's only gonna work by what information he's provided. Because baby Earl was a really good referee. Uh, but it, to me, it made it look more real. Oh yeah. I wish the, the pause and all that stuff, but I, I don't, I don't think too. look, uh, if angles going to kick out of a rock bottom, he's already kicked out of one, right? Yep. Earlier in the match. So it takes two to beat him. Big deal. I don't like that philosophy, but I understand it. But I, I, uh, I thought that, uh, those guys really kicked ass and. And, uh, and, and, and at the end of the night, rock was made whole, you know, angle had a hell of an outing, great, really good match. Uh, he was a very reputable, reliable and respected champion. It gave rock a really good win, uh, leading into WrestleMania 17 against his arch rival stone cold, uh, in their second match ever, uh, on top at WrestleMania. It's a big deal. We're, we're the stage is set now for the biggest WrestleMania in history. WrestleMania 17. We're going to cover it next month. As we mentioned, just two days after this is the SmackDown taping where, uh, the cat is fired and Jerry Lawler quits in protest. And very quickly, the, the plans are put into motion to have Paul Heyman make his WWF debut with you the following raw. So you're going to do one more raw with Lawler and that's it, man. 
this has got to be sort of bittersweet for you to look back at what a great time it was in the company and what a big WrestleMania it was. And one of your very best friends you ever had wasn't by your side for it. That's gotta be a little weird. Yeah. The friendship was certainly well described. We had, we were great friends, but we were, we were even better broadcast partners. Yeah. Uh, I knew where he was, th- what he was thinking more often than not. Unfortunately for him, he knew what I was thinking more often than not. Uh, and it was just, you, you worry about creating the same dynamic or a, or a, maybe a different dynamic, but a equally as effective dynamic with a new partner. Uh, you know, we had no time to, uh, to, to vet who's going to be Lawler's replacement because it was going to have to be somebody that was very talented and could, and could stir the shit. And, uh, that's the way that Paul Hames has been described a lot of times in his life, very talented and with an innate ability to stir the shit. And, uh, so I, I knew from working with the Paul in Atlanta that, and that was, he was very, very green then. I mean, he was, he really, he would piss me off in the air sometimes just cause of saying something really, really stupid and counterproductive. And that was more to get himself over. However, as the journey continued for him, he, he was, became much more proficient in getting the talent over than constantly worrying about getting himself over. I remember one time from the very beginning of that relationship, uh, he said, uh, before show, Hey, I'm going to say this. And then that sets you up to say this. And I, here's my punchline. I said, what? I said, Paul, I don't work that way. I ain't going to remember fucking lines. So you can get a punchline in, uh, to nail me or somebody else. Create your own end, create your own, create your own narrative there. And then it's organic and it's real and it's going to mean more. I ain't doing these lines things. You say this, I'll say this and I'll give it. No, I ain't doing it. And he'd get real pissed off. I said, this ain't, I'm not, how, how clear do I have to be? I am not fucking doing it. Paul, listen to what I say and take what I say, because I am the anchor for better or for worse. There's gotta be something, there's gonna be a progression here and some sort of a broadcasting verbal symmetry that we have to address. So all I'm telling you is, is that you'll get your lines in, you'll get all the stuff that you ever wanted to say in, but we're going to do it with an organic in a real fashion, not because it's predetermined. And so he got it and we never did those lines ever. We never even discussed that ever again at one time. So, uh, but we were lucky to have him there, but I, I just always felt bad about that because I think that Stacy got a little bit too big for her britches, apparently in the eyes of some, uh, I never had a problem with her ever. Uh, but apparently, and the writers never came to me in advance that, Hey, Jerry, could you have a chat with Stacy? I said, I sure can. What's the problem? And I'd have found out I'd addressed it. Nothing. We went from zero to 60 like that. And all of a sudden she, whatever, whatever transgression she said, allegedly, uh, 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 had are enough to get her fired. So all of a sudden as a head of talent relations, I didn't even have a chance to save her or to correct it or fix it or anything. So I didn't, I didn't like how that all went down. Uh, but I was a little shocked that Jerry was going to voluntarily take himself out of the equation. Uh, not the fact that he wasn't, you know, didn't love his wife and all those things. I just didn't think he would, uh, leave his job. 
because this thing could have been rectified, especially much easier and better if he had stayed on the job and we could have addressed it going forward when, when the heat went down Conrad, right. When it's a different, more negotiable, palatable atmosphere, which basically centers around Caesar. (laughs) Well, next week we're going to have a topic that doesn't center around Caesar, but before we do, when we talk about what we got coming up. Let's put a bow on no way out. 2001 Jim. thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Oh, I like the show. I do too. It wasn't overbooked. You notice we didn't have that many matches. Yep. He had plenty of match time, quality minutes. I thought was good. There's a couple of little let me ups there. You know, the Lawler thing with the RTC and Stevie Richards was a, kind of a, let me up kind of an attraction like match. Uh, the, certainly the, uh, Steph and Trish match was uh, an attraction level match that I thought, uh, they did well, you know, Meltzer made a comment about, you know, Lawler and Stevie Richards following, uh, you know, Austin and, and triple H cause the, we wanted to make sure we had that Austin triple H match far enough away from, uh, angle and rock that they didn't overlap. So in other words, in the old school way of doing it you would have had the, the next, the last match would have been Austin and, and, uh, and triple H then following that would have been, uh, rock and, uh, and Kurt that, that was, that, that was changed. It was, that was not a good TV presentation to do it that way. You needed highlight feature and restart. So you get in the middle of the card with this three fall match and then you restart and you restarted with Lawler and, uh, and he's texting me again. I'm kidding. He started with, uh, you know, uh, restarted the show with, the, with, the, uh, with, with this almost over again with Jerry and, and Stevie Richards. So I, I liked the show a lot. I thought it was well booked. I thought the matches that needed time, got it. And I thought the guys wore their working boots that night and did a, did a good job. Uh, and I think that, uh, Meltzer's ratings for what people believe yay or nay in those, I think they're always pretty close, uh, was indicative that, that. He as an expert and watching it, uh, was, uh, was pretty close to own the money there. So good show. I thought it was a good show. It is a good show. And, uh, don't forget later tonight, you're going to get a hell of a show on adfreeshows.com. JR is going to be taking your questions. It's tonight, February 25th over at adfreeshows.com. Next week, we're going to be back talking all things, Rick Steiner. Uh, we'll be back on March 11th covering WrestleMania 20. Excuse me. On WrestleMania 18th, it'll be asked JR anything. The greatest WrestleMania ever was WrestleMania X seven. And it's coming your way on the 25th of March. We've also got some really cool bonus stuff coming your way on ad free shows in both March and April that I don't want to spoil, but let me just say, I am wringing my hands about JR is going to be, uh, doing something kind of fun. April 1st, we're going to cover mankind's 96, 97, April 8th. We'll hit WrestleMania 27. Uh, on April 15th, it's tax day. So we're going to talk about Mike Rotunda, uh, April, uh, 22nd. It'll be about John Cena's 2006. And we'll wrap up the month of April with backlash 2001. Lots of fun stuff coming your way in both March and April. Uh, but right now we need to remind everybody that whether it's March, it's April, or it's still February, it's still grilling season over at jrsbbq.com. No doubt about it, man. I, you know, I, uh. I, I actually used my grill and when I was in Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago and it was colder than hell, but, uh, 
I, I did it very simply. I wore a coat and I cooked a couple of steaks. I learned that I cook more than one thing. I can get them cooked all nice. Everything's cool. Grill them. Then, then take them back in the house. And I got something for today and tomorrow or just today. If I travel down the, uh, chocolate cake road very much, um, uh, it's not healthy. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it's always grilling season. I like, I trying to eat healthier and trying to watch my, all my measurables and my health. And I've been really dealing with that a lot here lately. Uh, so I, I want to eat healthier. And so I find that grilling is a way to accomplish help helps accomplish that. So, uh, you know, we got a really unique brand of products. When we first started jrsbbq.com, I thought, well, we'll sell some barbecue sauce here and there. And these other products are just kind of vanity products. I like them personally. I like developing them with Jan. I thought it was a part of our little, our little, our love and, and, and fun together. And so all of a sudden now the mustard and the ketchup and the, and the seasoning and all that stuff's kind of created its own identity. So, uh, we, we, we got all kinds of deals. We have different promotions every week. We pride ourselves on our customer service and any of you that have bought things digitally, you know, that, uh, it can be dicey. People don't return calls. They don't return emails or whatever the case may be. So I'm very proud of our efforts to build that brand, our brand in that spirit. So uh, the original barbecue sauce, still the number one seller, but boy, the, uh, Hot barbecue sauce is right in there fighting and the ketchup, the chipotle ketchup. Uh, somebody I suggested here on the show that I, I warm up a little ramek and a little bowl of uh, coffee cup size or half a size, half a cup of the chipotle ketchup and I use it for steak sauce. Cause I, when I lived in New York and couldn't, or lived in Connecticut, the Peter Luger steak sauce is always one of my favorites. And it has some of those properties to call more thickness, rich. And then, uh, the mustard, I, I, I really believe Connor, I eat this mustard every day. Wow. I mean, there's something whether I use it on salmon or I use it in on sandwiches or burgers. Uh, i got this little grill where I get these, get the hunger, I get the munchies for hot dogs. And so I, I have this little, little thing that sits on the top of the stove that has these ridges on it to, to create grill marks and I'll have uh, hot dogs. And sometimes I have open face hot dogs where I'm not eating so much bread, but I never do without the, the, uh, mustard. So it's a fun thing. And it's, and I know you're a big fan of the, the all purpose seasoning. Oh yeah. Work, works like a champion. It's universal. It works on a lot of things. So we just appreciate everybody's checking it out. You know, I, I said here, it doesn't cost nothing to look. And if we can help you, we let us help you try, try something and see if you like it. And then, uh, let's move forward and let us become something that you see in your refrigerator on your, on your pantry shelf or whatever on a regular basis. We appreciate that very much. So, uh, jrsbbq.com. I get a lot of questions about why we don't sell in England. You know, we got beef jerky's hard to get exported out of the country. Uh, there's a lot of real cost of the COVID. You should understand that the COVID has restricted so many things. Same thing in Canada. You know, if I had a distributor, a, a company in Canada that did this for a living, we could wholesale them product and off they would go. But it's just easier said than done. And the COVID issues just have slowed everything down so drastically. It's just hard to grow a food line product that is shipped out of the continental United States, in essence, uh, uh, very successfully. So hopefully someday all that stuff will change 
and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, in any event, that's where we are, buddy. It's, business is good. And, you know, for you and me to say it's grilling season is, is kind of like a no brainer. Of course it is. It's year round. Yeah. It's year round, man. So, and it's healthier eating, but frankly, healthier eating, you're not using grease. You're not, you know, not my, my dad, one of the reasons we did a lot of smoking when I was a kid, we didn't have any air conditioning. We lived in a four room concrete block house. It was a converted milk barn. Seriously. Sound like a Toby key song. But, uh, so we, we would grill or smoke, not grill smoke, different deal. Uh, and that would be little chubby Jimbo's uh, job to keep that fire temperature at the right spot by adding wood when, when necessary. So, uh, anyway, I, those all bring back great memories, but anyway, jrsbbq.com. We appreciate you just simply going and looking and, uh, and thanks Conrad for bringing it up. Absolutely. And we hope you pick up, uh, your all purpose seasoning, some of that main event mustard, some of the Chipotle ketchup. And of course, under the black hat, it's all at jrsbbq.com. We'll be back next week with Rick Steiner right here on grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Have you on the mister, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day and give somebody a hug today. That wasn't expecting it. Including a, if you see Conrad in Huntsville, just go <laughs> hug the hell out of it. <laughs> We'll see you next week with Rick Steiner right here on Grill and JR. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.